From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 31, What's Wrong with Revenue? I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Officer here at Square2. And I'm happy to welcome back Eric Kalis. Uh, where in the world is Eric Kalis today? You had two weeks off. You traveled all over the place. And today you're not even home. So uh, fill us in a little bit. Yeah, just uh, taking some time. First vacation uh, since COVID. So I uh, took a little time with the family. Went to my first destination wedding, which was quite interesting. And I'm on the road again today because I'm helping some entrepreneurs here in Florida think differently about their marketing tomorrow morning. Great. Thank you, um, Nice to see you again. I'm glad you had a nice vacation. Um, we have an interesting topic today, and I know you like these big strategic topics. Today's topic is you're making small changes when you should really blow it up. And we're going to talk a little bit about digital transformation and what that means and how sometimes you need to kind of rip the Band-Aid off and go with something big and bold as opposed to making small changes. So we'll get into that in a minute. Real quickly for everyone, if you're new to the show, you can always check the show out on YouTube. Go to the Square Two Marketing channel on YouTube. You can get every single What's Wrong with Revenue show. You can subscribe to it. You can like it. You can give us comments. We're always checking in on how we're doing with our audience on YouTube. You can get the show on Square Two's free streaming service, Square Two Plus, at squaretomarketing.com backslash Square Two PLUS. All the shows are posted there along with all of our audio and video content. Check it out. There's something for all different roles. We have multiple channels, multiple content types. We have audio, we have video. Go take a look at that. If you want to submit questions or you want to subscribe just to the show, you can head on over to What's Wrong With Revenue. It's at the bottom of our website. There's a link to it and you can get it on your schedule. You can have us email the show after it's over and you can also submit questions like we will talk about today. We always get a nice collection of questions and Eric and I always spend time answering questions towards the second half of the show and we'll do that again today. But I want to get into this idea that if you're having trouble with revenue, you might have to consider blowing it up. Change is hard. I understand that. Big change is even harder. But if you're not hitting your revenue goals, then it might be time to blow everything up and take an entirely different approach and execute an entirely new set of tactics. The world is changing so dramatically um, and is changing so quickly that it's very possible that what got you to your current revenue level is not going to be what you need to get to your new expected revenue levels. And digital transformation is remaking businesses in every industry. So if you're still using old school tactics for marketing and sales, regardless of how well they used to work or how comfortable you are with them, it might be time to rethink the entire effort. So sometimes we just have to kind of, as we said in the beginning of the show, blow it up and rebuild it. So some of the things we're gonna talk about today how to evaluate if big change is needed, where to look and what options are available if you want to rethink your entire go-to-market. We have some examples of other companies who took the big step and what they did to uh, rip off the Band-Aid and get started, what's involved, how long it might take to execute it, 
and who needs to lead this, what outside resources might make this easier. So, Eric, welcome back to the show. What do you think of our topic? Get us started here today. Love the topic. And in preparation for today's show, I wanted to share a prospect call that I had two days ago. Awesome. It was a very, very nice call. Let me start that way, right? Very professional. The prospective client was very polite. They, to give you some context, it was a large commercial cleaning company that not only does regular cleanings of large office buildings and other industrial workplaces, but also does special projects like a big cleanup if you have a flood or something like that. So the company's been around for quite some time and they seem to be at a very attractive revenue level. When I asked um, for any supporting material prior to the initial discovery call, the contact there sent me an absolutely uh, detailed description of what was going on. So here's what was going on. The company's been around for a while. They have many, many stable accounts, but because of the great resignation that occurred during COVID, both of their two salespeople went on to find other jobs. So now they are left with no salespeople. They never had any marketing people to begin with. And they wanted to find a firm that would be able to outsource this revenue generation. They actually used the phrase revenue generation because they made it clear they don't want sales, they don't want marketing, they just want someone to deal with presenting them with qualified opportunities. So I said, well, what options are you considering? And what they said is, we're considering spending $7,500 per month on an executive appointment setting program. I said, okay, uh, for those of you that might not know what that is, that's cold calling. So I said, well, tell me your thoughts behind that. Well, we're in an old industry and we're an old school kind of company and this just feels right. So I asked a few more clarifying questions and at the end of the day, it was basically just, we wanna do cold calling. So I said one question that really changed the whole complexion of the conversation. I said, hey, person, do you like getting cold calls? And of course they said, no way. And I said, well, why would you assume that your prospective clients are any different? And that started a whole conversation about thinking about their prospective clients. They didn't know what to do, but they did know that it, they weren't generating any new opportunities. They know they're not closing any new deals. They know that they don't know anything about digital marketing. And I started to have a conversation simply about placing them in their client shoe, prospective client shoes. So I asked them, think for a second about who their favorite client was. And they came up with this guy, let's call him John. And John runs X and he is such a great client, blah, blah, blah. And I said to them, where do you think John would go to look if he was looking for a new commercial cleaning company? And that's when the light bulb went on about digital transformation. The first thing this prospect said was, oh, I guess they would start Googling. And I'm like, no, they actually wouldn't. They would seek referrals and recommendations from their network of people, friends, family member, coworkers, colleagues, like, hey, do you know any good commercial cleaning companies? And then in lieu of a good recommendation, they would start Googling. And when I said that and kind of spun it so that they could place themselves in the shoes of the prospect, all of a sudden, like I said, the light bulb started going off. Now, I wanted to set the table for our conversation today with that story because it's so evident that everything they were doing was either outdated or broken, but yet they didn't know what to do in order to fix their revenue situation, which of course is the topic of our show. Yeah, it's such a good story. So if you're in a similar boat, 
one of the things we want to try to evaluate is when do we know if that big change is needed, right? So in this case, they had an event, right? Their two salespeople left. And Eric, if you remember when COVID hit, a lot of events uh, triggered this conversation for us specifically. Some of the people we were talking to at the time couldn't make the personal calls they used to make, right? They had people who literally drove in the car and they went to visit people. The visiting was out, right? We also had a lot of people who had a lot of money invested in shows, conferences and trade shows and networking. And all of those events were canceled. So they were they were kind of moved by a, a, a big event to rethink what they were doing. And, you know, if you remember, some people were taking advantage of the time, like they had money and time and they wanted to work on this so that they didn't have to deal with this again. Other people didn't didn't respond so proactively. They kind of waited a year and a half for things to settle down and then got in touch with us and said, hey, we really think we need to do this now that people are opening up again. We're comfortable spending money on this. Let's get going. So you have a lot. And, and your example is someone that's waited even for something more dramatic to happen. They had to have their entire sales team quit before they decided to move on this. So how can we guide our listeners to as you like to say, read the tea leaves and decide when this big change is needed before their entire sales team quits or before we have a pandemic? What, what would be some advice you could give people around that? Well, you know, it's very interesting um, that so few people take the time to stand in the shoes of their clients and prospects, right? They do what they do and the clients buy or they don't buy. I think the first step is to see what's going on with clients and prospects, right? If you see an account, and I'll give you a very simple example, that used to spend $50,000 a year and now is spending $5,000 a year, I would ask why. And if they said something like, oh, well, your competitor put up an e-commerce section of their website that's so easy to order and I could do it after hours and I don't need to call your people anymore, that would be one of the tea leaves, right? Hey, digital uh, uh, or, or uh, e-commerce ordering is something they want. You could gather six clients, six good clients. Hey, what's going on? What do you guys need? What, what aren't we providing you with? There's also the metrics, right? If you're not getting the same amount of leads and or customers, something changed. A lot of times it's the way that people want to interact with you. Uh, website traffic, right? People look at their website so infrequently. They think it's an online brochure that just sits there. It's a one and done project that we did in 2018 and now we're good. So not true. You have to look at that. What's that? Why aren't people coming to our website? What's going on? What aren't we giving them? Um, the other part of that conversation I had with that prospect was that their website literally was horrible. And I said, but think about it. How much is it to spend money with you? And they said, well, we usually charge about $10,000 a month. I said, well, nobody's spending $120,000 a year with a company that they don't check out their website. Have you considered that that should be digitally transformed as well? So I think that there's a lot of like understanding what's going on with their customers and prospects and really taking the time to look, ask and go deep. Now, to your rip off the Band-Aid comment earlier, lots of times people don't want to hear the bad news that their website sucks and people don't want to do business with them because they don't have an easy way to contact, blah, blah, blah. But I think that if you really want to fix your revenue problem, you got to face the hard truth. I think that's a lot of good, a, a lot of good advice. I also think if you're dealing with the systemic problem here, which is why we even started the show, you know, weeks ago, months ago, at this point, 
companies are having trouble hitting their revenue goals month over month. I think, you know, if you want to look at the, your, your business performance at a more macro level, that might be one indicator that you need to do something different. You know, if you hit your goals in January, missed them in February, hit them in March, and you're going to miss them in April, well, there's something going on there, right? Something that needs some attention. You know, if you hit them in January, February, March, and April, well, you're probably not listening to the show because you're doing great. But the reality is there are so many companies, and we, Eric and I always ask people when we get large groups of people together, you know, how many of you hit your, your target last month if you did stand up? How many of you hit it for the first quarter, remain standing? How many hit it last quarter, remain standing? You go back just a couple of months, pretty sure, pretty, pretty soon everyone's sitting down. So it's very hard to hit revenue goals month over month. And I think if you're having that trouble, you need to look at this entire experience, like Eric's describing, of how are people interacting with your company from a marketing sales and even customer service perspective. And if you are struggling to hit your revenue objectives consistently, then that would be one indicator that you might need a big change. Hiring a new sales rep is probably not going to help. Um, yes, Eric's right. If your website traffic is going down, that's an indicator that something might be wrong. But that could be as simple as the technical SEO on your site is not working like it was a couple of months ago. Fix that and traffic could go back up again. But if there are a lot of these indicators that are looking like maybe something's not right, then you may need to take a much bigger approach to trying to fix this problem and looking at it from a much longer term perspective than hiring a new rep or putting a new brochure in the rep's hands or making the reps make more calls. It's probably not going to fix your problem. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about this show is like, do you just fix it or do you have to blow it up? Right. And I think in the case of the prospective client that I referred to earlier, they don't want to hear that it's time to blow it up. They haven't been spending money on marketing. They've just been relying on salespeople knocking on doors and banging on the bushes or, or wait, beating the bushes and banging on doors, right? And yeah. now that those two people are gone, they still don't want to admit it's time to have a different strategy. I think that with your comment about SEO, right? Yeah, maybe there are some small fixes that fix some of the things and you start to get the conversions and leads that you have from a tweak. But I would say more than 50% of the prospective clients that I speak with, they really need to blow it up. Yeah, well, you're right. There's a lot of neglected websites. So, and even- I don't mean the website. I mean the whole sales yeah. marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that leads to the next point I want to talk about. So where to look at and what options are available if you want to rethink your entire go-to-market. So that's such a big thing, right? I'm sure people are listening to this and being like, oh my God, that sounds intimidating. Like, where would I start? And how would I go about doing this? And you kind of mentioned it a little bit in your comments, but there are there are, there is actually- a way to look at this so it's not so overwhelming. And that is to really understand your prospect's buyer journey. And I think this is where most companies have become disconnected. They're executing old tactics when the prospect's buyer journey was different than the prospect's buyer journey today, right? And to your example of the prospect you talked to, the way they go to market, the way they look for new business is designed around when people opened up the yellow pages, picked up the phone and called a couple people to get a quote. And that's not how people buy today, right? When you, have, when you had people calling in and when you had people's, the only access to information was sales reps, the sales rep was the single point of contact, the sales rep answered the phone and the sales rep made the phone call. And that's how you controlled the flow of information. And that's what really basically what your, your prospect is still thinking the world works like. And, it completely doesn't. So if you're wondering, hey, this sounds like me, 
where do I start with this? The answer is real simple. It's with your prospects buyer journey. And Eric is 100% right. You have to start reaching out to those people and asking them, how did you, and you can even go to customers, right? How did you find out about us? What steps did you take before you talked to us? Oh, you went to our website? Great. Do you remember what pages you looked at? Do you remember if you downloaded anything? You know, what happened after you downloaded it? How long did it take before you actually got in touch with somebody? Um, when you did get in touch with someone, what was that experience like? What questions did they ask you? And, you know, how did you feel when they started to talk to you? The best way to tackle this is to take a big whiteboard and map out every single touch point that your prospects and customers are having with your business. And this is exactly what we do with, with clients. Yes, we use a framework and we apply some science that we've created here at Square Two, but you don't need us to really do this. You can do it yourself if you're up for it. And pretty soon you'll have a giant map of every single touch point that every single prospect and customer has with your business. And now you can start to look at how to make those experiences better. And some of that is by using digital tools and some of that is by using content. Some of that is by changing the conversation and telling a different story, but that's the framework you need. That's the map you need to figure this out. Um, and, you know, Eric is also right in his comments about it. In almost every case, it does start before the website visit. So if the first touch point is someone giving you a, a comment of their own experiences, don't blow by that. If your customers are, are not having great experiences, they're not giving that referral that Eric talked about. Oh, yeah, I use these guys for my cleaning services. You should talk to them. Like, if you're not getting those referrals and that word of mouth, that's something that needs attention too. And that comes actually all the way at the end of the buyer journey when they're customers. So don't blow by that and think the first experience is a, is a search or a click on a website. Lots of times the very first experience is a conversation between a prospect and one of your potential customers and what their experience looks like. You want to add anything to that? So important to understand that buyer's journey. I'm sitting at a Marriott Courtyard in Sarasota, Florida. I choose the hotels where the, I see that there's a hotel shuttle that can pick me up at the airport and bring me to the hotel. When I land, I called the courtyard today. I say, could you send the shuttle over? They go, we don't have a shuttle since COVID. I said, well, it's right here on your website. And it's also on the Google thing. It says shuttle available. That's why I picked your hotel. Yeah, we don't have a shuttle. I then had a walk 20 minutes from the terminal to the hotel. Why? Because I'm cheap and I don't want to spend $20 for a cab to drive you to the end of the uh, driveway because it's literally at the mouth of the airport. When I get here, I said to Paul, the manager, who was the guy who picked up the phone, hey, Paul, I'm the guy that just called 20 minutes ago. You see right here, it says it on your website. He goes, yeah, didn't even say you're sorry. Like not understanding what people are going through. Would I ever stay at this courtyard again? No. Would I give them a negative review? I don't know. It's not that important, I guess. But it's certainly not like whenever you're in Sarasota, you got to stay at this courtyard. It's amazing. And that's exactly what we're going for. Amazing, not subpar. Sure. And you just told all the people that are listening and watching the show. So manager's name is Paul and he was rude. <laughs> His email address is paul at sarasotamarriott.com. No, it's a really great example. Just think if someone had picked Eric up at the airport and they're like, hey, Eric, awesome. Hop on in. We're going to go for a ride. It's a two minute ride to the hotel. Don't worry about it. And by the way, we're going to listen to some cool tunes while we're on our way over there. What a nice day is it? Hey, did you catch that Marlins game? Or I don't know if I'm right about the city, but you get it, right? If someone had picked you up and given you a cool experience, you, you obviously would be telling that story here today 
as opposed to the story about the inaccurate website, which is super frustrating. Well, I think it's also, he didn't understand what my journey was like to get there. And even when I got there, he didn't correct it. Oh, right. I'm so sorry about any confusion. Here's a free beer at the hotel bar. I mean, it would have solved the problem and I wouldn't be broadcasting it to our millions of listeners on what's wrong with revenue. That's right. All right, good. Let's do, let's do this uh, before we get to questions. So, you know, we do this a lot. So do you, can you think of any examples of companies who took the big step that we could maybe share with our audience, someone that kind of recognized this as an issue and went through an exercise like we're talking about to completely blow it up and start again? One of our clients or a big company in general? I mean, I don't think it matters. Either one, whatever you have yeah, at the well, tip of your tongue. I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Warby Parker. I wear glasses and all those years that I had to go to the optometrist and get the thing and the drops in the eyes and then go to the really like dark and weird showroom. And then I had to come back two weeks later, pick up my glasses Warby Parker, you know, they don't make any glasses different than the other folks made prior to their origins. But what they did do is make an incredible buyer's journey. They ship you your home five frames that you chose on their website free with a shipping label back. Then you can order online. Then you can upload your own doctor or go to one of theirs. Like everything they do at that company considers the buyer's journey. And I think that that is my favorite example of how they took something that was completely broken, unremarkable, and actually quite annoying and made it into something I look forward to. When I go to Warby Parker now, because they have showrooms, the you know, brick and mortar showrooms now in every large city, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Should I ship it to the showroom? Should I ship it to my house? Maybe I'll get two. Ooh, there's no upselling. There's no register. They're walking around with the you look Everything about that just positive. And I think that that's probably my favorite example of doing some kind of transformation around the buyer's journey that propels their revenue, which is the, once again, the, the point of this show, right? If you could change the buyer's journey, you can drive a lot more revenue. I think that's such a good point. And you and I were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the companies that have really excelled. It very rarely has to do with the specific marketing execution. It almost always has to do with their openness to be different and to stretch and try to change the market and, and, and create an amazing buyer journey. Like we have this client, Crosby Hops, who uh, is a fifth generation hop farm out on the West Coast. And when we met them, yes, they were interested in more leads and they were interested in expanding internationally and growing their business, but they really wanted to uh, change the world. They're a B Corp. They have big plans and they were really open to doing things differently in their industry. And the, the result of that has been just exponential growth. And yes, we, we help them with the, the marketing execution and their sales execution, their technology and all the things they needed help with. But they came to us with the energy to really do things differently and stand out in their space. And they're seeing the kind of growth that I think a lot of companies aspire to see because they had the right vision. They had the right strategic uh, initiative and perspective that is required these days to really create the kind of growth that I think a lot of companies would be envious of. So, you know, there's another one, like, you know, we could go all day with this, like Netflix, right? They, they just got tired of the shipping of the discs in the mail and said, why do we have to rely on the mail? Let's just stream it directly to people. Next thing you know, they put an entire set of businesses out of business, right? That's the way you got to really think about this. And then from there, the execution actually gets quite easy. So, you know, 
those are some pretty good examples, big and small names you've heard of, maybe names you haven't heard of, of people that took a big step and they almost always get a significant amount of benefit from taking that big step. There's actually much less risk, in my opinion, associated with taking the big step and trying something than feeling like, oh no, this is scary. We shouldn't do this. Let's keep doing what we're doing. You have a much bigger chance of going out of business if you don't take the big step. Yeah, you know, I'm rereading um, Blue Ocean, right? It talks about how, of course, you have the Red Ocean, just it's a big bloodbath where you're competing with your normal competitors and then it has the blue ocean where you could carve out a new space right i don't even think people think that warby parker competes against the local optician it's just this own thing out there that deals with glasses but i remember um one of the stats that i was reading was that when they're bold and they do a new initiative right a new campaign around something remarkable or some cool buyer's journey thing it impacts uh three times as much as just a new marketing campaign of an old product. And the uh, summation of that is, right, uh, you know, history favors the bold. If you can really try to break out and do something different in your industry, you're rewarded three times as much as if you're just one of the many that compete. And I think that's so important because once again, what's wrong with revenue? If you're trying to compete and just steal a little market share from the other guy without taking the time to be remarkable, to innovate, to introduce it to the marketplace, things that people want and that make life easy for them or help them on with some pain or problem that they have, you're rewarded with revenue. You don't even, like you said, the tactics, the marketing and the sales tactics become easy because if you have a great story, all you do is deliver it. You don't have to really just pound people. It's true. Yep. All right, before we get into questions, let's talk a little bit about some execution around this big idea. Who do you think would lead this within an organization and what kind of outside resources might make it easier for someone to try to tackle big, uh, big blow it up and rebuild it kind of uh, initiative like we're talking about? Well, number one, it has to be a collaborative effort, right? It has to be leadership because leadership has to bless it because you can have some whippersnapper in your sales or marketing department that comes up with the idea, then it's squashed by traditional leadership. You don't want that. You want it to be a collaboration between sales, marketing, and even operations because they have to deliver it and leadership. But then I think that unless you're a big enough company to have some kind of innovation or R&D person on the team, you got to look to outside resources, a consultant that's done this before. You know, we have helped literally hundreds, if not a thousand companies over our 20 years be remarkable. Take something that's really an ugly ducking, a duckling and turn it into a beautiful swan. Well, it's easier for us because we do it on a daily basis than it is for someone to start from scratch. Oh, let me read a book called The Purple Cow and see how I could be remarkable. That might take them forever. Where for us, we're like, here are the six steps you have to go through to introduce something truly differentiated. So I think that you have to bring that in unless one of our listeners today is working for Siemens and they have a whole like, you know, innovation department and you could call in someone to help you fix your business unit. Other than that, I really think you have to have someone who has that special expertise about uh, uh, the, the buyer's journey, digital transformation, how it all ties together. The other part is that there has to be some no fluff involved. There has to be the direct thing. Your current buyer's journey stinks. This is why you're suffering from low revenue. If we blow it up and we rebuild it this way, this is what I recommend. Like you got to hear the, the, the truth. Um, you know, I think I've talked before about my friend who uh, runs a car dealership and, you know, the service department closes at six o'clock. It's not open on the weekends. I'm like, but that's when I'm available to drop my car off. Like, why wouldn't you just have an hourly worker collecting keys and checking in cars so that the team could do it when the regular schedule, but make it easy for me. 
Like they can't, he constantly argues it's not the way it's done in my industry. And I don't care about that. All I want to do is drop my car up to be serviced on my schedule. And that not understanding that just that simple tweak in the buyer's journey would make me a fan. Yeah, it's such a good point. We've, we've talked about so many examples like this, you know, about the, the car company that we said, just, just, just let them have whatever car they want for like a nice monthly payment. Now that's available, right? If they had done that when we suggested that they would have been years ahead of the game. Um, I think you're right about everything you said. I think you need a complete buy-in from the leadership team that you're going to do this. And that's all areas. Finance has to be involved because they have to pay for it. Ops has to be involved because they have to deliver it. You know, sales has to sell it. Marketing has to tell the story, you know, so Everyone in the entire leadership team has to be on board that we're doing this. It, it touches every aspect of the company. I do think, and I've seen this with a lot of companies, it probably makes sense to assign it to someone to lead it. And it might not necessarily be the person, the people on the leadership team, because they have other areas of responsibility that they're trying to continue to keep their eyes on. You don't, you don't necessarily want them to take their eyes off on the day to day. So putting someone in charge of an initiative like this, reporting to the leadership team and make them completely responsible and accountable and give them all the resources they need to handle the execution probably makes the most sense internally. And I do think Eric's right. If you could bring somebody in who's done this 50 times before, they're going to have the tools. They're going to have the workshops. They're going to have the frameworks. They're going to have the exercises. They're going to have the steps. They're going to have the, the details associated with the things that have to get done. And if they have a single point of contact that has access to all those internal resources, you're going to have the right people working on this in order to get it done in a timely manner. So it's going to take some outside expertise and like, you know, unless you've done it before yourself and this is your business. And even if this is your business, I'd probably recommend you consider getting someone outside to help you anyway, because look, we're just not great at seeing things from our own perspective. I mean, you never learn as much as when someone is looking at your business that is not in your business. And we do it all the time for clients. We can look at their business objectively and say things to them that they've never even uh, uh, thought of on their own because they're just in it. You're, you're, you see your business differently when you're in it. I'm sure if someone looked at Square Two from an outside perspective, they would provide a lot of insight to Eric and me. And we'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. We never thought to look at it like that. Um, so I think getting that outside perspective is really going to help. And they're going to have a lot of interesting tools that will help you get this done much quicker. So something to consider if you're ready to um, tackle a big project like this. All right, Eric, you want to do some questions? Love the questions. Okay. So this is from Emily in Los Angeles. How do you, um, how do you manage a large company-wide transformational project like the one you're suggesting? So she's looking for some additional details. Um, not necessarily who's going to do it, but how would you manage, how would you recommend a company consider managing this? How do they work it in with everything else that they're already doing? Well, I think the first and absolute critical step is communication, right? Let everybody know what's going on, right? We have these challenges with our revenue. So we develop this new offering that's going to be delivered in this way that we're going to promote this way. It's coming up next quarter. Set the table for everybody so they know it's coming. I bet you that there's a couple people that find that exciting and might want to step up and join in the effort. So some pre-communication, I think, is absolutely critical. Once that communication goes down, regular updates are important. You know my old story about the uh, husband and wife on the altar. The husband says, I love you. Six months later, the wife says, how come you never told me you love me anymore? He says, I told you when we got married. Don't, don't ask me. I'll tell you, let you know if anything changes. That's not the way it works in a company. 
you got to keep updating them. Hey, here's the update on the special project. We're now at this milestone. We're now at that milestone so that everybody is not only aware, but you're starting to garner some buy-in. When you're hearing that things are moving forward and it's an exciting change to our company because we're doing some kind of transformation, that's interesting to most folks that work at that company, right? <clears throat> Everybody loves new and exciting. Now, the third step is you got to have a pilot team, right? You got to have a little tiger team working on it. Like, okay, these three people are going to roll this out. The first thing we're doing is we're going to take the initial framework of this new offering and we're going to show it to 12 existing clients to get their feedback. And we're going to share that feedback with you team so that together we can kind of massage based on that feedback. So you have that really nice kind of like a, a feedback loop going with existing clients or maybe even some prospects so that you can massage the final version of that. Now, once you're ready to go to town, it's still not ready. You got to have the soft opening, right? Because things are bound to go wrong. So if you're going to do a digital transformation, for example, let's say we're adding e-commerce to our website. Do we want to open up a new channel? Well, don't tell the world about it. Send an email to the 100 uh, best customers and say, hey, will you give this a beta test, a stress test it for us? So that you're not embarrassed and you also uncover some things before the big grand opening. And then finally... I was going to unleash something new and exciting in my company. I want to go guns a blazing. I want to do everything I can to promote that. I want to make a splash in the industry. I want to make sure that all my T's are crossed and I's are dotted so that I can start to accept that new revenue for people that are excited about the new project. And then finally, at the end, there has to be some kind of postmortem because innovation and digital transformation is not a one and done deal. It's an ongoing thing. Let's make the assumption when you roll out your new e-commerce platform that your arch competitor is going to roll something out similar to it six months from now. Are you working on the next transformation that's going to take you up even higher and squash the competition? Or maybe even make the competition, in, competition inconsequential because you're just in your own space now doing things that really transform your company. So I think that's the basic framework of how we've seen people roll out these new innovations remarkables or digital transformations as we've been discussing? What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I agree. I think the other, the only aspect that you didn't probably touch on is lots of times this kind of project produces new roles in the company. You know, for instance, if you're going to be looking at providing more digital marketing support, more digital sales support, you may find that you have a uh, need for a new technology platform, right? So, you know, you have to buy it. Someone has to become expert at it in your company. Someone has to train the people on how to use it. So that's just one example of how, if we're running a digital transformation project, as an example, I might uncover, I need a marketing operations person, you know, someone that can really lean into the technology and help us uh, uh, get it set up properly and make sure everyone's using it correctly. And you mentioned it briefly, but when you start to use more digital tools and you unlock all the data associated with all those interactions, you need someone that can look at that data and say, here's what's going on. Here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to respond to what I see in the data. And here are the actual changes that need to be made, right? So again, that might be a new role. If you've never done stuff like this before, you might not have somebody who had that responsibility previously. Now, the great part of this is lots of times new roles mean new opportunities for current team members, which is super exciting. Like Eric said, you know, you may get people who are like, wow, this is really cool. I want to be part of that. I'm interested in that new role. I want to step up and, and be part of this new team or part of this new uh, uh, workflow or whatever it is that you're doing. So the idea that this is going to be scary might actually 
be inaccurate in the end. It might be very exciting for the company to see this going on, to feel that the company is doing something innovative and look at all these people who are participating in it. Eric rattled off a bunch of opportunities. You can be on the pilot team. You can be involved in the uh, feedback loop. You can be the people who are creating the new marketing tools or looking at the sales process differently. Like so many people can get involved in those processes of reimagining the way the company goes to market can generate a lot of excitement across the entire company. It can really energize your business um, to do things that it's never done before. So, you know, again, when people look at projects like this, they kind of get nervous and scared. Maybe you should look at a project like this and get excited about the opportunities it's going to prevent for all the people present for all the people in the company. Um, so I would just say, be open to new roles and, and give the people in the company an opportunity to participate in those new roles. And you might see them elevate their own contribution along the way. Yeah, I mean, you don't want buy-in to be an obstacle. Well, I think you, you, you're not going to be successful if buy-in's an obstacle. So Exactly. So if you, right. you get that, the people yeah. involved, we're all in this together. Yeah, that to me is a pre prerequisite. And the other thing, and we see this a lot with us, is you know, if you're thinking about doing something like this and you're talking about it at a leadership team level and the general consensus is, well, I don't know, let's try it. I'm going to tell you right now, don't even bother. You know, if, if, if you're, if people are, you know, apathetic about it or people are more leaning towards the negative of this not working, but I'll do it anyway, you might as well just forget it. And it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. They're not going to give it the attention it needs. They're not going to give it the energy it needs. They're not going to give it the time or the thought it's going to need. I don't remember, Ark, do you remember that call we had with the prospect and the, they were like, uh, they said to us, well, Mary really wants to do this, but we don't think it's going to work. We we're like, yes, yes that's the job we want to get involved in. None of you think it's going to work and your boss is telling you to do it. Yes. Can we please help you? Right. Yeah. Not I mean, happening. that culture, that, that's not, not a culture that's ready for any kind of digital transformation. Right. hundred percent. Right. So um, I think that's, that's also something to consider. And you know, just to add something to what Eric said when it comes to the execution of these large company, my experience has been it's, it's, it works out the best when you break it down into small bite-sized chunks. It appears to be so monumental on the surface, but if you get the right people involved and you split up the tasks and everybody's focusing on their little piece of it with their eye on the big prize, you can get a lot done in a short amount of time without overwhelming people. And as long as someone owns this and they're kind of corralling, corralling those resources to work together, you know, you can get, a, you, you can really execute something like this without it being a big uh, time suck. In, in my opinion, everyone's clear on what's getting done. The timelines are reasonable. The assignments are doled out. You have good people working on the project. Everybody is clear on what they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it. And you just keep, Lining, lining up those items and knocking them down. And before you know it, you'll be well on your way. None of this that we're talking about is rocket science. None of this involves, you know, like sending a man to the moon. It's all very practical in terms of what you're trying to do. The tools are there. The expertise is there. You just need to have the, the desire to start installing some of these things in your company. I mean, our company was a great example. When we innovated the accelerator, Kristen led the charge everybody chipped in we kind of figured it all out together we gave it a test run we did two or three we corrected some of the mistakes or assumptions that were not correct and then we just went full force and it was just a great team effort yeah that is a good example and that took us a while 
you know, again, like yeah. you can't expect these things to happen overnight, but yeah, that's a good example. Yeah, All right. because now it represents 70% of our revenue. And once right. again, back to the impact of innovation. Right, and it's a major competitive dif differentiator, which how do you even put a value on that? All right, so Joe in New York City, and this is right up your alley, Eric. Joe would like to know, what are some examples of big changes for the sales team? So what kind of major monumental upgrades could someone make if they're just looking at the sales piece of it? Well, I was talking to another prospect and I said, oh, well, how do you manage your salespeople? He says, uh, well, we have 14 salespeople. That's uh, eight in the US, two in Canada, and two in Mexico. We cover all of North America. I said, what CRM are you using? We don't use the CRM. We have a spreadsheet. So I said, well, how are you getting the data necessary to project, make changes, find opportunities? He says, don't. That is sin. Because anybody can install a CRM for a reasonable amount of price. Anybody can get it up and running and you could have an amazing transformation of your sales team just by using a little technology. So I think making sure that the team is connected to some piece of technology, AKA CRM is a major change. Now, lots of people have CRMs and they don't use them or they only use 5% of them. That in itself could be a major transformation simply because if we decided to lean in to our CRM tool that we already have, boy, we could do some really cool stuff. Now, the second transformation that's related to that is about scaling. And you always tell the story about how one of our clients wanted to do more business with the same amount of people, right? And that's where also a big transformation could come in because with the CRM, one salesperson could juggle 50 opportunities where now manually they can only do 20. So that could be a big transformation of handling more or even getting rid of that lowest performing rep and then rotating that money into more of the technology. So from a sales perspective, I would first lean into technology and make sure that are on the same page. However, the second big step is once you've locked down the technology is what's the experience like to go through your sales process? Can we give some supporting information? What about templates we could use to really tell our story accurately and consistently? What about a little free prize inside? I just had a conversation with a prospective client and they were very interested in how you can quantify the stages of the journey. So I didn't tell them, but I just shipped them our book, smash the funnel, uh, $12.92 on Amazon. And it's going to arrive tomorrow, like a little present from us saying, Hey, look, I know you were interested in this. Let's go. Once again, other firms I'm assuming are not sending a copy of their national bestseller to a prospective client. So the whole point I'm trying to make here is that if you can just, Step a step outside of what you're doing now. Hover five feet above what's going on in the sales team and look down and say, what can we do to make this truly an enjoyable and remarkable process? That, of course, along the way, solves the problems and has the right solutions at the right place, so forth and so on, but makes it a really cool experience. Um, the sales team in general is where the rubber meets the road. And if you have a great website and you have great emails and you have a great webinar, and then you get a crabby salesperson or someone who's unresponsive, hey, babe, it's all falling apart at that point. No matter, despite your best efforts in marketing, the sales team has to really finish the job. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just give you, look, you're looking for practical examples of what you can do in sales. There are literally so many, um, you know, you, you, so many companies still don't use lead scoring. So they have pro they have sales reps who are spending the same amount of time with all the prospects instead of spending more time with the good prospects and less time with the bad prospects or not bad, less qualified prospects. So, you know, right there, you can find efficiencies in the sales organization that mean you can 
do more with the same amount of reps. It, for so many years, companies looked at sales like, well, if I want to grow, I got to add more salespeople. Now companies are looking at sales and saying, well, I want to grow. How do I execute sales more efficiently, right? You know, knowing what the best prospects are based on their behavior, knowing which prospects are likely to close sooner, knowing which prospects are likely to close, close faster, mean sales reps can spend their time with those people and maybe less time with the people that are going to take a little longer to move along because they're just not as ready. They're not ready. They're not as ready to have that, that uh, let's buy something now conversation as someone else's. So that's one very practical way to do it. The other practical uh, thing you can do is use more video. I mean, people don't want to read anything. They want to watch. So, you know, instead of typing up an email, if you recorded a video and sent it to them, they're going to get to know you better. They're going to look at your face. People like to do business with people that they like. They're not going to have to read what you wrote. You know, it's, there's, there's not going to be any interpretation. How many times have you looked at an email and go, oh, that guy sounds kind of crabby. Like you're, you're, you're reading into that email. He could have been perfectly happy in writing that email, but the words he chose made it seem like he was crabby, right? When you see a video for someone, there's no room for interpretation. You can, you can see that they're smiling. They're happy. They're, 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 excited to be potentially working with you and helping you. There's no opportunity for misinterpretation there. So there are two very specific things that you can do just in sales to kind of blow that experience up and make it better. I'll tell you something else. Every now and then I ask our, our new clients, why'd you choose square two? And you would think what they would say is, oh, well, you have the accelerator or, oh, I really liked Eric or, oh, you guys seem so smart or that book was great. That's not really what they say. Most of the time they say, well, your sales process was the best of all the people we talked to. And what they're really saying is you guys did a better job making us feel safe in hiring you than your competitors did. Just think about that for a minute. That, that they're, they're commenting on the entire experience. It's the, it's the email touches we did. It's the first call with Eric. It's the book he sent them. It's the diagnostic call where they get to meet other people at the company. It's the way we socialize the recommendations. It's the way we deliver the recommendations. It's how we ask them how we did at the very end. Like there are so many things that go into that process and into that comment. And it took us a long time to add those, those touches and, and the nuances of that process. It's not something you roll out once and you're done. We're still working on it. We literally work at a meeting. We did. He broke up. He's a follow-up on yeah. those process. Yeah, we yeah, had a meeting no, I'm, today. I'm, yeah, we had a meeting today to talk about how it could be even better because we just want it to be the best possible process we, we possibly can. Like the, that kind of attention to detail makes a difference and you're going to win business because of it. You're going to close business faster. You're going to close business more frequently. So, you know, when you think about it like that, there's so many things that you can potentially do in the sales process that, that can transform it. Agreed. All right. And it doesn't cost anything. Except the book. Except the book. Right. 12, $12.49 on Amazon. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's do a couple more questions here. So this is kind of an interesting one. This is from Greg in Seattle. What advantages are there to being the first to do this in our industry versus waiting for someone else to make the first move and see how it goes and then follow? I'm sure you got a comment for Greg on this. Greg? If you're not the lead dog, the view is always the same. <laughs> I mean, who wants to be second dog? That's no fun. I think that 
once again, like we talked about, history favors the bold. Be bold. Innovate something. Even if you fall on your face, you'll get the learnings from that on how to rejigger it so that, once again, you could go to market with a second version of it and be successful. I'm not waiting for anybody, and I'm not following anybody. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, you know, the iPhone wasn't the first digital phone on the market, and that's true, but we're not Apple. We're regular businesses trying to really take advantage of opportunities and beat the competition. Give it a try. Start smaller, but don't be the second guy. Be the first guy. Yeah, there's so many sayings about this, about how success is a series of fail is is always preceded by a series of failures. You cannot be afraid to fail. And I think there's so many lessons in business here. You want to fail fast, right? So you don't want to spend a whole year trying to make this work only to see that it's not working. And I think that's to Eric's point. You have to have a lot of little checkpoints along the way to make sure that these little steps are actually working and contributing to this overall big objective that you're trying to tackle. But you don't want to be second. You want to be first or not at all. There's no second place. You're either in the lead or you're in last place. And again, like we could throw cliches out around this particular topic all afternoon, but you, you know, you have to have a mindset that you want to set the pace. You, you have to have the mindset that you want to be bold. You have to challenge your competition to keep up with you, right? You don't want to be following them because it's safer. You want to be the one that's stepping out there and trying something new and forcing them to follow you. Trust me, they're not going to have the stones to follow you. They're not going to have the energy to do everything that you did. You know, we talk about the accelerator a lot because it's such a good example. We're three years into it. Not a single agency has copied us. It's not that because they don't think it's a good idea, because I know for a fact they all think it's a good idea. It's because they don't have the energy to figure out how to staff it. It's that simple. It's not easy. And we're still working on it. It's not easy to figure out how to put a dedicated team on a client engagement instead of a fractional team. Every single agency knows how to do the fractional piece. They've been doing it for years, but putting a dedicated team on it and still having a profitable agency is a very, very, very hard thing to figure out. And they're just not up for it. We're good. We're just going to keep doing what we've been doing. No one's complaining. You know, like, yes, square two beat us at that last account, but I'm sure we'll get the next one. Right. So it's just easier to blow it off and pretend everything's fine. And you know what? That's perfectly good for me. And I know it's good for Eric. So your co competitors are going to feel the same exact way. Like, okay, they're doing this interesting thing over there. Let them do it. We'll see how it goes. Great. That just means more opportunity for you to get ahead of them. Yep. Also, like sometimes we position our, or we challenge our clients to position themselves as leading a movement starting a revolution think about the story behind that versus oh yeah we copied a competitor and we have that too it's such a bigger more emotionally connecting story for prospective clients yeah it's such good advice and we've talked about this over and over and over again at nauseam it's something we talk to clients about constantly you have to have that story so you know if if the story comes along with this effort to digitally transform the way you go to market even better um, but if you're going through this transformation, you don't have the story, you're missing a very key element. You're not going to see the same kind of success as if you have that Crosby Hop story or that Arbil story or any number of other examples that we've talked about over the past 30 shows. All right, cool. Let's do a couple more. So, uh, Eric, if you had one lesson to share that you've learned over the years around digital transformation, 
What do you think that would be? One big takeaway for someone to consider if they're going to be looking at something like this. Strategy before tactics, without a doubt. Like maybe whiteboard out three or four ideas, right? About how you can innovate something that's going on, whether it's digital transformation or, you know, a, a new service or offering, right? So many people are like, yeah, we'll just start. Well, no, that's the harder part is the strategy, right? Researching and talking to clients, uh, testing things, modeling things out financially. Like not enough people do that. And then they're surprised that it doesn't work out. I think on about three or four episodes ago, I talked about the blow your smoke up, uh, the, your skirt factor, right? And that is when we are modeling something, we do the best we can to kind of do the strategy, project everything. And then we say, let's cut it in half and see if it still works. If it still works with 50% less optimism, less activity levels, then I feel comfortable to move forward because then it's just a big upside. I think a lot of people will just have either half-heartedly or knee-jerk reaction-wise jump into some kind of project without really doing the strategy first. Now, if you do the strategy first and everybody on the team agrees that this is the right path, you already have the blueprint about what the project's going to look like. Now you just got to follow the plan. And I think that in life in general, not enough people do strategy before tactics. They jump right in and make a new website. They marry someone after one night out on the town. They don't take the time to really develop the runway needed to make a successful plan project. I think that's very good advice. And I would add that under the umbrella, look, this is such a big project for most companies. There's a lot of places where it could go wrong. And we've talked about a lot of them and tried to introduce you to a lot of them today so you can maybe mitigate that in your own organizations. But under this umbrella of strategy, I think the prospect buyer journey is the most important part of this. And mapping that journey out in as much detail as possible. And I think this is where you do have to talk to customers and you do have to get sales involved and you do have to talk to prospects. You really have to understand what they're worried about, what their questions are, how they feel. When we do prospect mapping for clients, there's an emotional component to how these people feel that tracks along with the buyer journey. In the beginning, they're anxious and they're nervous and they might even be scared because you know maybe their job is in jeopardy, right? And then as they start to get a little bit better educated, that anxiety level goes down. And now maybe they're cautiously optimistic. And, and as they meet somebody that they trust and they get more education, they're feeling a little bit better, right? And, and eventually at the very end, the goal is to get them to feel safe and happy and excited about what they're about to do. So when you think about the emotions and you think about the people that you're, you're trying to connect with and the, the, the mindsets you're trying to change, it's like a very heavy lift. If you do that without some kind of tool, if you do that without some kind of framework, um, if you do that without some kind of expertise, I think it's going to be very, very, very difficult to create the, the experience that really moves the needle. And then you'll be spending a lot of money digitally transforming something and maybe it won't be exactly right or you won't say exactly the right thing or the experience will be slightly off and then you'll wonder what happened right we you know our revenue didn't blow up you know it, we didn't get what we thought out of this and i could probably very clearly point back to the prospect buyer journey mapping exercise and be like oh wait a minute you guys hardly scratched the surface on this you have like four touch points and there's probably 40 touch points. So that I think is probably one lesson that I would share with everybody who's listening to say like, that is a very important exercise that goes along with the exercise that Eric talked about. 
but that that map only that that prospect buyer journey really kind of becomes like your gps for this exercise and you know if i said well get from california to new york you could probably do it without a map if you just follow the streets the the road signs it's going to take you a lot longer you're definitely going to get lost a few times because those signs aren't accurate and it might be raining or it might be dark and you miss a sign it's just not the same as when your GPS is telling you to make a left at 300 feet, right? And what Eric and I are talking to you about today is really the GPS of this exercise. And when you have that, it's much less likely you're going to make a mistake. It's much less likely you're going to get lost. It's much more likely that you're going to have a really efficient exercise, create the tools and the touches you need, and drive a much better experience for your prospects and your customers, which will produce sustained revenue growth month over month. Okay, Eric, I got one more question for you. I think it's a softball. Here you go. What do you do about the naysayers? What's the best way to get them on board? This is actually from Jill in Alaska. I don't know if you knew we had any uh, audience participants in Alaska, but Jill's in Alaska and she wants to know, she's got some naysayers that she's trying to deal with. What's your advice for Jill? Well, first of all, Jill, if you're the leader of that company, your culture sucks, uh, get rid of those people. If you're an employee of that company and everybody's naysayer, I understand that that could be a challenge. What I would do is one, socialize the idea first, right? Hey, what do you guys think about this? Whatever. But what you have to do when you're socializing is to back it up with data. If you can show, hey, we can increase our sales by 41% with this investment over this time period. And here's why it's really hard to dispute that, right? I think too many people come and they say, well, I think it's going to be great, or this sounds cool, but that's not going to uh, really uh, fly. Data, to me, is a great way to convert naysayers. Now, we talked a little bit about uh, testing programs and tiger teams and things like that. Also, really good intermediary steps before rolling it out. You could say, hey, look, we're going to roll this out to 12 clients, and if we don't get traction, we're going to have a go, no-go conversation at the end of that 30 days or whatever it might be. But I got to tell you, like the naysayers, if you have them, that's a big obstacle because you got to have everybody rowing in the same direction to have a digital transformation be really effective, in my experience. Yeah, I think if you have one or uh, a small number of naysayers, it's manageable. I think if you're pushing the rock up the hill and everybody's telling you this isn't, we're not, you know, like eventually you're going to have to look for something else to do because I don't think you're going to be responsible for changing the entire culture of an entire organization. Um, and if there's just a couple people or one person specifically, I think Eric's giving you a lot of good advice. You can change everyone else's mind around what you're trying to do. And they can either uh, overpower the naysayer to get them on board or just get rid of the naysayer, right? We're doing this. And if you're not on board, you could go find something else to do. That's probably the best way to handle that. If you can get some other people on board, that's what I would recommend. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, really good topic. And you know, we're going to do something next, different next week. Uh, we've been doing a lot of strategic topics over the past couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to shift gears and get into a tactical topic. What's wrong with revenue? Your website's technical SEO is hurting your lead gen efforts. And this topic has come out of some real life examples that we found where changes that Google has made has impacted a lot of clients and a lot of companies' websites without them even knowing it. And their actual, their, their organic search performance has degraded. Uh, some big companies have reported that their, their sites have degraded. 
And this is really because you have to be stay very close to your website's technical SEO performance. So we're going to talk about that next week. Eric, thanks for getting back in the show. I hope I'm glad you had a nice vacation. Uh, if you're looking for the show, you can get it on YouTube. Go to the Square Two Marketing channel and you can subscribe to the show. Like us, give us comments. We love hearing from our audiences on all of our platforms. The show's on every single podcast platform. So if you're into podcasts, check it out on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and all the other podcast platforms. You can also check out all of our audio and video content on square2marketing.com backslash square2 plus our free streaming service. And you can subscribe to the service right there on the page. And we'll email you every time we post something new. And if you're into the show and you want to give us questions or you want to uh, join the show live, go to our website, pop down to the bottom. There's a link. What's wrong with revenue? You can get it on your calendar. You can attend the show live. You can ask us questions live. You can even submit questions there like we did today. And we will handle them live on the show like we did. Everybody, thanks for another great show. Really appreciate you joining us. Really appreciate you watching us on demand. You guys would like catching it in a non-live format. Eric, thanks so much. Safe travels. And um, we'll see all you guys uh, next week. Take care.